Welcome back, everybody, to the Bodega Border Crew Podcast, Volume 66. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a fan. Glad to have you with us. Uh, this is a kind of fun episode. But let me do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew Podcast. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch drops. We have track listings. We have uh, action items. We have a lot of stuff. Also, make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player or whatever player you're using for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. So we've had a good uh, bit of swell come into Southern California in the last couple of weeks. It's been a lot of fun. I've been happy because I've been able to take out boards that I normally don't because they were finally waves for them. So that was kind of fun. I uh, took out my bonzer, had a, had a fun day at church with that. Well, it was a frustrating day, but it was fun to be out on a board that I normally don't get to surf as much as I'd like to, and I'd consider more of a winter board. And there's been a lot of great little sessions at spots that most people don't realize can be really good in the summertime. And I'm gonna leave it at that. But I hope you guys have been scoring. I hope you guys have been having fun. I hope you guys have been safe. I know the COVID numbers are going up and a lot of that is a lot of math for people to wrap their heads around. But honestly, it is really based in fact on people's movement and how they act. So please wear a mask, go out there, be safe social distance, wash your hands, let's just uh, reduce this as much as we can, get this under control, and not just thumb our noses at it and say, well, it's not gonna affect me, I'm not gonna get really sick. You might not get really sick, but you could also transmit it to someone that can get really sick, and with the hospital loads that we're having around the country, it would be nice to keep those down and to keep people out of hospitals and make it so that the only reason you're going to hospital is for a random accident and not for a disease that you could have avoided. But let's talk about this episode. This episode is really fun because on the music end, I'm kind of going all over the place. This is a bunch of random stuff that I listen to. You know, we tend to be in our cars or at home and just put iTunes or whatever Spotify on random and just go through our library. And this is one of those episodes for me. This is a bunch of random stuff that I dig, that I like, that I hope you guys have turned on to. So that's it from the music end. In terms of the interview, I'm really happy to have Dominique Miller sit down and talk with us about growing up uh, all over the country, uh, landing in Oahu, learning to surf there, and what her experience has been as a person of color in surfing, which I think is something that's very important for us to address and talk about. We also have a bunch of short takes. The first short take we have is this video that uh, stars Devin Howard called Assorted Rides. Uh, The second one is uh, kind of a compilation of clips of uh, Harrison Roach that Hunter Verico put together, which is really cool. And the last is a clip of Neil Messner in Dana Point on a Dane Peterson surfboard, which are some of the illest surfboards out there. But without further ado, let's get into some tracks and then I'll check in with you guys with an interview.
This episode is being brought to you by Swanson Health. I know a lot of people out there who listen to the podcast, like myself, try to stay healthy and fit 
and use natural products. We use supplements. We use a lot of stuff, you know, just to keep ourselves going, especially with everything with COVID and our immune systems and stuff like that. And I know for me to buy those products, I often have to go to a bunch of different sites or stores. And that's really difficult nowadays. Luckily, I was turned on to this brand called Swanson Health. Swanson Health has been producing quality vitamins and supplements, foods, healthy home and self-care products for over 50 years from the heart of America. All this stuff is being made here in their brand. And their brand they've been working on for years and they worked really hard on it and have been testing it to hell. And so you know you're getting quality products. They also carry over 20,000 wellness products at great values. So there's other brands besides theirs that you could pick up. I picked up a bunch of CBD soaps, um, some inulin powder, some digestives, a bunch of immunity uh, boosting uh, vitamins. So I definitely think you guys should check out this brand. If you want to try any of Swanson Health's great products for yourself, use code CREW20, that's C-R-E-W-2-0, for 20% off at Swanson.com. It's a pretty big discount, so I really suggest you go use it. That's C-R-E-W-20, CREW20, for 20% off at Swanson.com. everybody how you been digging the tracks i told you it was gonna get a little weird told you it was gonna get a little funky i wanted this to be a little bit of a surprise but let's do a little housekeeping this is the bodega border crew podcast volume 66 make sure to check us out on instagram at bodega border crew make sure to check out our website bodegabordercrew.com where we have merch we have action items we have episodes videos all that kind of stuff also make sure to check out this episode description on your itunes player or player of choice and uh Look at the track listings, look at the links to things that we're talking about, and that kind of stuff. But this episode, we were able to sit down and speak with Dominique Miller from Oahu. Dominique Miller is someone who's been on my radar for a while, and I've always wanted to talk to her about her surfing and her experience in Oahu, and Queens, and Waikiki, and all that kind of stuff. And also, in terms of what it's like to be a person of color in this scene, because we do not have a lot of them, which is very, very bad. And I wanted to hear her take on it and what she thought and how we can make it better. So here's the interview and I hope you guys enjoy. What's your name and where are you from? Um, my name is Dominique Miller, but everyone calls me Nika for short. Uh-huh. And I, you, I'm from, besides Hawaii, I'm also from Texas and Michigan. Oh, so were you born in Texas, or? It was random. I, I was actually born in Philadelphia, okay. but I, I was only there, like, for, like, a month of my life. Okay, so it's, like, one of those situations, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, my, my parents got divorced, and it was just, like, it was just super random. Got it. Yeah, so I, I grew up both in, I grew up in Texas, and then um, high school, I was in Michigan, then I moved back to Texas, and then I moved to Hawaii. Okay, so what age, um, were you, when you lived in Texas, were you surfing in Texas, or? I, I, tr- I tried it a few times, but I, it, just like, you know, kook status level, yeah. like, oh, let's go out, okay, yeah. like, but, but I really, like, picked it up when I moved to Hawaii. So how old, how old were you when you moved to Hawaii? Uh, about 19. 19, okay. So how, did you, 
like go for school or did you just move to just move yeah uh university of hawaii i got a scholarship to run cross country and track oh that's awesome yeah i was i was a really really good runner um distance runner not sprints uh-huh. a lot of people think that but no i'd suck at sprinting yeah. but i'm a really 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 good distance runner so what are you doing like like marathon lengths or uh like but so in track i ran the mile okay and the 5,000, which is three miles, and in cross country, it's a, it's a 5K. Got it. Um, so, well, sometimes in college, they make us run 6Ks, which is, like, it equals out to, like, four point something-ish miles. That's, like, a weird but, length. That's, like, kind yeah, of random. It's the, it's the, I, I don't know, I think it's the weirdest. I don't think it makes sense, because all throughout high school, it's a 5K, you know? So then to just randomly add an extra, because a 5K is 3.1 miles, and like I said, I don't know off the top of my head what a 6K converts to, but it's just, yeah, it's just really it's under hard. Well, it's under four, right? Or is it barely four? Or it's, maybe. Gosh, I, I don't, it's so weird. Like I said, I ran it all throughout college. No, I'm a four. I'm like, I'm like, like a, like a, rec- I'm like a recreational kind of, like I used to be a recreational competitive runner. Like I ran the New York City Marathon a bunch of times and like, so like, like the four, four mile race was kind of the constant they had on a lot of the New York races. So I wonder if that's why it was. Like, it could be that. I mean, they never measured in Ks. They were, like, most of the races were, like, 3Ks, 4-milers, or 10Ks, like, qualification races. So that's... Yeah, a, a 10K is 6... A 10K is 6.2 miles. Yeah. So so then, yeah, 4K must be a little under 4 miles. It must be, like, 3.8 or... It's such a weird random... <laughs> it's so random. It's like, why? Yeah, why? Why? <laughs> Why not just have a four-mile race or not, like I said, the normal 5K, which is what you run in high school. Yeah, know? yeah, that's the Why standard. This, and even when I run, even in track, when it's the 5,000 meters, it's, you know, it's three miles. Yeah. So, like, why wouldn't you just keep it that distance? I, I don't know. It's It was weird. Well, it, I don't, because I was so used to running that five that 5k so that last 100 meters you know you're just like sprinting but then when it's a 4k it's like freak i still have another like half a mile oh yeah yeah you're like what am i gonna do yeah i'm so what i was gonna say so going there to university how did you get into um surfing like how did that happen like what was your first exposure to it um just being in well it's it was hard because in college um university of hawaii is a division one school so Division, NCA Division One schools—they're pretty strict. Like when you're when you're on scholarship for that event or whatever you're on scholarship for, you know they're very like adamant. Like you're there for that sport. You know we're not like paying you to go do off go do other things and get hurt, or we're not like you know. And plus at that level, I was running 60, 70 miles a week, so it, it's, it's pretty tiring. You know you have you have to run. We have practice in the morning, and then you go to school, and then you have practice in the afternoon and then you have to go to the gym and then you have to do your schoolwork. so just like on the weekends or just like on the days where I didn't have that many classes I would just go to the beach and just started like getting to know the beach boys okay down there, Waikiki, and then they're just like let me use all the boards for free so just started going out and the waves were super like pretty easy and mellow in Waikiki so it's it was like easier to learn and it was just really cool seeing like some well in that moment these people were like ripping you know to me like wow it's so cool and that's how i really 
a lot of people ask me like, oh, well, how did you really learn? And I just learned by watching, you know, I never took a surf lesson. No one ever, like, like I said, I've gone out with friends and stuff, but it was just like, okay, when you see a wave, you just paddle really hard and stand up, Yeah. you know? So like literally that I would be paddling for just like, like nothing, you know, and just trying to stand up because I didn't really know. But when you came to Hawaii, it was like more structured in a way, you know, like every it was almost more like a conveyor belt yeah like yeah it is to, you know just like you know they catch the waves boom pat, use a channel paddle back out do, do, yeah it's it's kind of like i said it's it's literally like a little assembly line conveyor belt type of thing so it's easy to just kind of sit off in the corner and then just watch people catch waves well that's what i would do like i would you can kind of plus two so i did sports my whole life so i can kind of tell like who's good and who's not so right. it's the same thing surfing you can be like okay, obviously that person catching waves and doing stuff on the wave, they're pretty good. Right. Opposed to the people that look like me that are just paddling and flopping around. Right, right. So, like, yeah, I would just, I would just pick out the best people and I would just kind of watch them. And, like, maybe a little creeper status, like, I would get kind of, like, closer to them. And okay. just kind of, like, watch what they were doing and then try and do the same thing. Like, I would kind of try to go for the same waves as them. And then, like I said, just... You know, first going straight, for then started turning, and then just slowly. I would say probably three months or so. I really, really doing it every day. I picked it up a lot, and then I remember the Beach Boys are telling me like, you should go and get your own board. You know, like because they're only open certain hours. You know, from like yeah. seven to five ish. Yeah. So afterwards, I you know, like I wanted to keep surfing. Right. Um, so I was just like, yeah, it was about time. Um, so I, I went and bought my first board, which was a seven five, uh, like mini tanker, uh-huh. and that really helped a lot. You know, just having my own board, being able to surf early morning, being able to surf sunset time, being able to surf whenever I wanted. You know, yeah, yeah, that flexibility. Yeah, the more you surf, and then that's when I really, really started getting way better. You know, because I could surf all the time, and I really. I really loved it so much. I mean, I love running too, but I, I also made like kind of like a little decision in my head. Like I, I'm never. I knew I was never going to be the office type of person, or I was never going to have that normal like nine to five type of job. You know? Yeah. So I was like, you know, I love sports. Like in my growing up, I always thought like, oh, I'm going to go to the Olympics. You know, I'm going to be a professional runner. Mm-hmm. But. But being in college, it was really humbling. Because in high school, it was like, I won all the time. It was super yeah. easy. But being in college, you're just like, oh, shit. Like, I, sorry, I'm not. You, no, you can curse. Believe me, this is, this is, <laughs> it's fine. But, but, like, you're just like, frick, I'm, like, third best on the team. Like, you know, like, I'm not even. Yeah, when you move to that next team. level. Yeah, when you move to that next level and you go to the next pond, when you go to the next biggest pond, you're like, yeah. it's a wake-up call. It's like, whoa. It was a shoot, like, I was, I wasn't finishing, like, top 10 in the contest, or, like, in the, like, in our running, you know, meets. I was finishing, like, 100, you Whoa. know, and I was, like, like, what the, because also, in that moment, we were in the Western Conference, so mm-hmm. you have some of the, the top running schools in the nation, you know, you have Oregon, yeah. you have UCLA, you have Washington, like, you, you have like the best of the best like these schools are are recruiting the top runners in the nation yeah so like i said i was a really good runner i wasn't a top runner in the nation but i was like a top 
runner, I would say, in my state, you know, right. but I wasn't like, like, I, I was good, but not at that level. And plus, too, a lot of these people in college, you know, seen juniors and seniors, obviously, they're going to be better than the freshmen. Same thing with, like, football players, you know? Yeah, like, of course. You know, so anyways, yeah, so I just remember thinking, like, wow, I don't, I always believed I could make it to the Olympics, but now I'm just like, oh, gosh, I'm not sure anymore. And surfing, I felt like, well, there's, you can run any place in the world, but surfing, you can only surf so many places, yeah. you know, there's only so, like, you can run in Nebraska, you can run in Canada, all this stuff, but surfing, not really, so yeah. the amount of women surfers to the amount of women runners, there's not as much, you know, no, like, no. I'm, I'm going to stand out more in women's surfing than I am in women's running, Right. so I decided to make that more my focus, surfing, uh-huh. And then so and, and and how long ago was that that you kind of made that decision? Um, maybe like six years ago. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I I was getting really really good at surfing, and because um, like I said, I've always been into sports and I'm very competitive. And if I'm gonna do something, I want to be like the best at it. So right. I was very determined. I was like practicing really hard. I was getting the hang of it. Um, like I said, I had my own board. I was starting to like do turns and all that. And some of the uh, beach boys are like, yo, you know, you should try enter the local contest, you know, see how you do, you're getting really good. And I entered a contest down in Waikiki and I remember I got second place. Oh wow. And yeah, so I was just like, okay. Oh, okay. I was so nervous. Like, I, oh my god, I was like, my heart was pounding, I was shaking, I was just like, oh my god, oh my god, I don't even know what to do. Like, a surf contest is kind of different than a running meet, you know? Oh yeah. Like, you have someone actually, like, watching you and judging you. Running, it's like, you just have to outrun them, you literally have to cross the line first to win. Yeah. There's no, like, you know, like, it's not so subjective, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, and when I got second, I was like, oh, wow, like, I I could actually do this, like, this is good. So then I started entering all the local contests, and I would usually place within, like, the top five um, uh-huh. by first year. And then the second year, that's when I started winning contests, and that's when, um, also, like I said, I was hanging out on the beach so much, too. I got a job on the beach, and I, uh, um... I got a job on the beach and I just I was in the water like even more you know like I'm surfing I'm I was I was a surf photographer okay for a surf school so I would just like I'd be shooting the students as they pass by and then I would be catching waves when they're not and like I was just like literally like just tons and tons of hours like in the water and then the beach boys were like hey in that moment stand up paddle was super like big and growing so I started like doing that as well like I, I got a long board I got I had my mid length I had then I got a stand up so I was like I was surfing everything right right so um and I was I'm actually better at stand up paddle than I am longboard. recently I've switched more to longboard because stand up is kind of dying like yeah. nobody it's I'm not sure if you remember but for a second there it was like the most it was super popular. yeah everybody like, was into it and, and like i remember going to hawaii and just seeing like everybody do it and like eh, like it was like insane yeah everybody doing it it yeah. was but yeah now it's just like you either longboard or a lot of the stand-up paddlers got 
are into like foiling and yeah. foiling is to me like too dangerous and it's just too I don't, know. I don't get it. I, I never understood it. I just kind of like, I, I'm like a purist in that way to the point that like, you know, I like single fin like long boards and single fin mm -hmm. mid lengths and stuff like I'm like kind of old school in that way. So for me, it's kind of like that's even like, I'm like, no, that's like, I, I, I don't get it. And we have yeah. a bit, we have a big problem with it in California, not so much down here in southern orange county but when i lived in la we had a big issue because there were a lot of people on foil boards who didn't know what they were doing who were in the middle yeah in, in the middle of of really crowded lineups like you're talking 100 to 200 people lineups oh my God. and it's it's really scary and it's like kind of like i've seen people like in, in at malibu like get run over by them like i was like dude like come on this is too much like you guys like go do this when it's flat like don't do this here yeah. you know kind of thing um, who were some of the people that you remember competing against when you were younger? Um, like, does anybody stand out, or? Um, do, do you know Megan Godinez? Yeah, yeah. She probably doesn't even remember me, cause, but, like, because at that time, she was probably like, who's this kook, like? Yeah. But, like, because, I mean, I was good, but she was, you know, like, way better but i remember her and i just remember being like wow um crystal walsh yeah uh she's she's one of my biggest idols i look up to her so much and i really look up to um i got to surf against him this was probably maybe like the third year or so i was competing and it was a stand-up contest i got to surf against bonga perkins oh wow yeah he beat me he like yeah. smashed me it was a contest in makaha and they had boys and girls together oh that's kind of cool it's, it's cool, but I mean, it's like, pretty much, no, your girls aren't going to win. Yeah. You know? No, but, but it's like fun. I mean, it's fun. I mean, that wave, though, is like so funky. Like, I think yeah. it's, I think it's the funkiest wave. Like, I expected it to be so different from, because my reference point was like super old movies of it. And I'm like, oh, this looks awesome. This is great. And then I saw that, that lump it does. And I was like, what is this thing? Like, I was like, yeah. this is like a fake wave. Like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, that way. I really love surfing Mako, but it's definitely really tricky for me to get it, especially when it's like backwashy. Yeah, yeah. It's just like there's a lot going on in that wave, and there's so many little boogie boarders on the inside, and it's just like during a contest it's different, but yeah, that wave is is tricky for me. But yeah, I remember I got to surf against Bonga, and like all, he, Bonga and Crystal are my two favorite surfers, and I've always watched surf videos. That's also I feel like how I got good at the beginning, like. I would just watch constant surf videos of um, them surfing, and I remember I got to face uh, Candice Appleby. Do you uh -huh. know Candice? No, yeah. no. Oh, oh. Uh, she's she competes on the Stand Up World Tour. She's a really good stand up paddler too. Oh, so, well, no. well, that that's just someone who stuck out to me um, in the stand up aspect. But Crystal Walsh and Bonga and who else? Megan. Um, Gosh, I can't even I can't even remember because also at the beginning I wasn't as familiar with like names like yeah. certain people. Yeah. Not till I started competing more, and then you start like seeing like okay, who's like the top? Who competes on like has made it to the world championships and all this stuff? Yeah. But it's also but, um, it was a different. I mean, how, how long ago was this? This was like maybe like what? five six years ago yeah and it was a different like i think also when it comes to the competitive longboarding obviously it was a way different well, world it, so when i first started because like i said my i would 
I had my like seven six, so I was more like into my like mid length, and I and I was into short boarding too a lot, and then I kind of stopped that, um, and I started getting more into long boarding and stand up. But when I first started doing long board and even stand up, it was really like progressive, you know. My long board was like a two plus one setup, you know. It was and it was super like super high pro, super high pro, like 20, 22 inches wide, like two and a half inches thick. Oh, like super really, thick. Yeah, yeah, like really, really thin, you know. Like now, now my my log is like three and three and a quarter, three and a half. Yeah. Like, you know, again, the progression is crazy because when I first started, it was all about doing hacks and big cutbacks and you wanted to, and the, and I remember talking to the judges and they're like, yeah, we want to see more turns. We want to see way more spray, like, like that style of longboard. Yeah. And now it's like, if you do that, you're not getting scored well. No, 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 that does not. I mean, the w- you're not trying to get little barrels. No, like they don't no. want to see that at all. No, no, no. The, the new, the new. I mean, which is you know obviously it's more in tune to the aesthetic I like. Like what Devin and them have done, especially with the WSL criteria now, is that it's moved more to like this, like, like a a neo traditional thing where it's like basically like yeah like you know they want to see you you know walk and they want to see you like nose ride and all that stuff but the difference is they want to see you do it in a critical section not out on the shoulder and they want you they do want you to do turns but it's not about spraying it's about setting up like kind of thing yeah which is yeah, cool it's about, like linking your maneuvers with a nice flow yeah you know? i but, mean it's 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 funny because i mean we're spoiled i'm sure you're spoiled in a way too like surfing queens all the time like you get to see all these people right you get to see Khalees. And like Haley, and like all these people, and, and and when Kai's in town, and like that whole that whole crew, and it's the same thing here in like you know Southern California. Like we're surfing, you know, either Malibu, Sano, or you know Church, or like one of these spots, and we're surfing with people like JJ Wessels, and like that kind of stuff, and we're seeing these people who like just naturally surf that way, right? Like naturally, out of happenstance, there's no. Uh, kind of forced the issue kind of situation so that's why when like the competitive thing went to where it's gone now um a lot of us were really happy because we're like this is sort of like the surfing we know like this is surfing we understand like this is what we've kind of been around um kind of thing and now you were talking about videos what were some of the videos or films that you watched early on that like influenced you i really really got into um i'm I hope I say his name right, Mikey the Temple. Yeah. His, his he made two movies. Um, one is Sight, I think Sight and Sound. Yes. Yeah. And Picaresque. Yeah. I think it's called Picaresque. Yeah. I, yeah. I I would watch those videos all the time. Yeah. I loved. I don't even know what who his longboarders were. He had in those films besides him and Cassia, but. Oh my god, they were so good, and I just loved how stylish they were. Yeah, and I loved that they went to these like random spots, you know, to go surf. Yeah, um, not like random, but like spots that I never even thought in my head, like, oh wow, that'd be sick to go there and surf. You know? Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he had we had I had him on the podcast, I think a couple episodes ago, and he was talking about that how it was like, you know, for one of the movies, I forgot which one, they had like an actual kind of a budget a decent budget so they were able to like travel a lot you know and that's something like when you make a lot of these like longboard films like you it's just impossible it's like it's like you don't have you're basically shooting where people live like you're like okay where's the break that you usually surf at i guess that's what we're doing you know um kind of thing uh 
and film i do think has influenced a lot of people it's it's the new you know it gives us the accessibility of kind of like like you mentioned cassia right you're not going to get the opportunity to see cassia in person but you could watch her on film and then that winds up influencing your surfing as well um so you're doing the competitive surfing thing for a while now you got hurt recently or the last year or something yeah i i, I was just hurt um like two months ago a guy at queens uh he i got hit by his board i'm not sure if you can see my oh jesus hold on can you see my name yeah yeah i saw i saw i saw that oh yeah why can't okay i'm so sorry i'm like trying to show you my oh yeah yeah oof wait so that was the cut yeah so it was um the the board it was weird the lifeguards and the so when it happened and I, I wiped out in the water it happened so fast I just remember my knee it I, I felt it open and I looked and it was just gaping open blood was everywhere you could kind of see like the inside of my oh knee. and I just remember it, it was starting to hurt really bad and I think I was kind of going into shock because I was just like oh my god like like what is like what I don't know like is my meniscus torn do it like what my ACL like I don't know what's happening like it's your knee it's really important yeah and um there was just so much blood and then there was two photographers shooting at Queens um Nick and Courtney and they came and got me um and they helped they were like swimming me in because they were trying to get me on my board but I couldn't get on my board I was holding my knee and I was just like crying so they were swimming me and during quarantine they had made the lifeguards stop working um I guess because they didn't want them to get coronavirus. I don't really know why the lifeguards stopped. They're just trying. I mean, I think in general, they're just trying to minimize people, period. Like it was. Uh, Yeah, like on the beach. Yeah. But so at this time, the lifeguards had just like, it was literally their second day coming back to work. Oh, Jesus. And yeah, so the, and when it happened, the, the photographers were swimming and they were raising their hands and the lifeguard came and they got me on the lifeguard board. They got me to the beach they called the ambulance. I went to the hospital. Um, it was during coronavirus, so like nobody could come in with me. So I was, I was just sitting, like I was in there, and I just remember thinking, like, oh my god, this sucks. Like I don't do well with pain, and I don't do well, do well with that kind of stuff by yeah. myself. But so the doctor came in, and he told me when the board had hit my, had went through my knee, it hit my tendon. Oh my god. Yeah, he said it was. I was really fortunate that it didn't snap my tendon because he said if it would have snapped it, I would have been out for four, five, six months. Yeah. But he said I had a really bad sprain on my knee and I, I had to get twenty-five stitches. I had to get stitches on the inside and the outside. Oh of my god. My, of my uh, leg, and if you would have seen it at first, it was it was so fat and swollen. They had to give me a knee brace. I had to use crutches. Like the first couple of days. I, I was in so much pain, I, I couldn't even go to the bathroom. My boyfriend had to hold a bowl oh, under me. Just oh, so that my I, God. You know, it, it was just, it was so, so painful. And I remember the guy who, who was bored hit me. He was perfectly fine. Not a scratch on him. He yeah. was, no, him. Well, that's him. usually how it happens. Like, the, the person who shoots the board out whose fault it is, nothing happens to them. It's always yeah. you. No, I, I, look, I've been on the other side. I've been on that, like, the side, not as bad as you. But I've had boards hit me and all this stuff, and the other person just like paddles away or like doesn't say anything, and I'm like, um, yeah, that's like I'm pretty messed up right now, like you know. I like I'm so fortunate I had insurance that covered it all because so many people were like, oh, why didn't you sue him? Blah blah. I'm like, I was in pain. I was like, 
I was more concerned about the blood coming out of my knee than trying to find this guy and be like, oh, I'm going to take you to court. Like, yeah. I, like, that was my last thing on my mind. But, like, afterwards, I was like, oh, well, whatever. I mean, like I said. No, it happens. I mean, look, I, I, I mean, it's kind of like, look, it's it's the, in a way, you don't want to, you don't want to kind of paint it this lightly, but. You know, we all go in the water and there's risks we're taking, right? And, like, right. sometimes this, this kind of stuff happens. And sometimes it's our own board and sometimes it's someone else's board. And it's, like, you know, that's just the nature of it. Now, are you surfing again? Yeah, I just started surfing again. Um, the So, for about one... I'm surprised how fast I healed, too, because when it first happened, like I said, the first couple of days, I didn't think I was going to be able to walk or surf for months. You know, it was so painful. But the first, after the first month, my leg really started coming around and healing. And um, I went to the orthopedic surgeon, and he said everything was healing well. I didn't have any, like, signs of infection. And he told me that I needed to start going to rehab, to PT. So I'm going to PT uh, two, three times a week. And okay. It's, it's amazing what um, physical therapy can do. Oh, like, yeah. Gut. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's so, it's, it's, like I said, it's amazing. My leg went from like no flexibility having a lot of atrophy to now it's like back to normal you know like it's it's really good the my pt uh therapist karen she's she's so amazing and it's like i said my leg is super flexible i can surf last week i was able to surf for one hour now i'm able to surf for about two hours that's good yeah, really yeah pe people you know it's the funny thing is because i have a lot of friends from the skateboarding world and a lot of them like you know they get really badly injured like they'll get like torn mcls and acls and that kind of stuff and ankle stuff and they're like doctors will be like hey look i really want you to go to the the pt like i really want you to do the physical therapy and they're always like no 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 i don't want to do it my other friends who have done it they're always like this is the thing that saved me like i have tons of friends who have like like torn their mcl who never got the surgery who just did pt for like a year and they were like i didn't have to do anything like i'm back to normal like kind of thing people don't they don't understand like the the physical therapists really good ones like yeah. they really like they're do and if you keep up with it consistently what if it's a shoulder injury like i have um rotator cuff issues right and i i went to pt for it and now i do the the stuff at home it yeah. totally took care of my rotator cuff. Like, I don't have... I never had to get surgery. I didn't have to get anything. Like, I just did the right things, you know? Um, yeah, it's so... It, like I said, it's... Like you said, if you have a good therapist... And luckily, the my orthopedic surgeon was really good. And he's like, you know, I recommend you go to... There's a place here called Physiotherapy. And they're... A lot of the, the therapists are surfers. So yeah. they know exactly what to do to get you back to surfing. So a lot of my PT workout is to help my leg, but also to help me in those surfing motions. You know, my pop-up, my, like, my stability on the board, like, handling the whitewash. Yeah. You know, all this, this stuff. It's not just like, oh, you know, like, do this weight, like, lift this weight for your leg or whatever. It's a lot of it is geared towards my surfing, which really helps a lot. Yeah, see, and that's important, too, is having, like, a physical therapist that understands, like, what you're actually what you're getting in shape for right like you can't just have like a general a generalist who's just like doesn't know what you're doing you know like i mentioned like the people in skateboarding i know like they go to people who are like for skateboarders like they're like okay i know what your knee is supposed to do and the pressure it's going to do and which way it's going to bend so we're going to work on getting sure that it's strong for those actions like that's going to be our focus kind of thing um when you started surfing in queens and competing and stuff like that was 
did, did you feel welcomed in the scene or was it hard to break through it? So in, in general, moving to Hawaii, it's the first place I've ever lived in my life where I felt like, like comfortable in my skin. Okay. Like a lot, it's growing up in the mainland, looking like me, being dark like me, be like, honestly, it's, yeah. well, at least especially when I was growing up, it's not cool. It's not pretty, you know, it's not, no one want, like, it's just, it's not. And I remember I would get my hair chemically straightened so and i would i i would purposely in high school and school i would purposely like skip lunch and not eat just so that i could be super skinny because i have a more athletic kind of build you yeah. know like i have kind of more i guess like black features like more athletic legs and yeah. kind of more of a butt and i just remember in high school like it, it, i was just like oh my god i don't like i'm not like skinny and like, like you know, like more like no offense, like skinny white girl, like oh no, god, no, like there's wanna, no offense. <laughs> like you know, like I, like oh my god, I want to do my best to look like you know, like yeah. a, like a white girl. Like I don't want to look like this. And I remember at one point too, I, if you don't know, I'm half black, half Mexican. Yeah, yeah. I remember like telling my mom when I was in high school, like man, I like I want to research and look up getting um, skin lightening cream. Like I don't want to. Oh be my god. Stuff. Yeah, like, I, I I, felt so ashamed, and that, that might sound bad, and, um, like, people might be like, oh, my God, you're, like, you should embrace being black and whatever, but it's, like I said, growing up on the mainland, growing up in Texas, growing up in Michigan, in, in more white communities, it's just not, it just wasn't, like I said, it wasn't cool. I, I was a kid that I would be quiet, you know, like, keep to myself. I didn't have a lot of friends. It just, it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. It was just really hard. But when I moved, when I lived in Hawaii, it was the first time where, like, there was more people that looked like me. There was more darker people. They might not have been African-American, but they were Hawaiian, you know? Right. And a lot of people just assumed, like, with my hair, with the way I looked, that I was just a darker, like, Hawaiian. So I fit in really well. And it was the first time in my life, too. I remember people would tell me, like, oh, my God, your skin tone, it's so beautiful. I remember the first lady that told me, I thought she was on crack. Like, I was like, I was looking around behind me, <laughs> and I was like, you mean me? Like, yeah. you, you're talking to me? Like, yeah. but like, what? Like, I've never got so many people in my life tell me, like, oh, my God, your skin's so beautiful, your hair's so beautiful, you know, your eyes, blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, living here, I, I fit in really well, and... I'm not sure what people thought of me when I was first, like, on the scene surfing there. Maybe they were just like, oh, my God, this girl's such a kook. Right. But everyone always treated me very nicely. And like I said, the Beach Boys were so welcoming and so accepting. And I had got nothing but love and respect. And even now, living in Waikiki for, like, a while, a super long time. And like you said, uh, how, like, Haley, Khalees, Keanu... Uh, Connie and Keanu, all these people serve. I've seen them grow up since they were little. You I was going like, to say. I've seen them since they were like little, little kids. You know, so it's just Waikiki is kind of just, Hawaii in general is different, but Waikiki especially is really tight knit. And once you're, you start to know everyone, everyone's really loving and really caring. And everyone's so supportive here. Whenever I travel, whenever I do anything, even when I got hurt, everyone was reaching out to me, wanting, wanting to help wanting to do stuff for me you know it's it's such a blessing living here it's the first place i've ever felt like i could be me 
you know, that I could have curly hair, that I could be, that I could go in the sun and get dark. When I lived on the mainland, I would purposely, when I ran, I would wear long sleeves and I would try to be, like, so I didn't get too much sun. I didn't want to be dark. Right. So it's the first time in my life where I felt like, like, okay. Like, I could just be me. And like I said, everyone here, everyone in the water, super accepting of me. I'm, I, maybe there's been people that have moved here that haven't felt that way, but I've, I've never in my life felt like that. Well, see, this is what I'm curious about because you've mentioned, you know, how much different it was on the mainland versus like there. Um, did you also, because I know for like a lot of people who are African American or people of color who get into surfing, like for them, it's very difficult because they don't see people that look like them surfing, right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel that you saw more people that looked like you surfing and it just made it a little bit more or? Well, also too, like I said, growing up in the mainland and competing in sports and stuff, I was kind of already used to being the only dark kid, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I don't. I guess I never really like never really faced me because even in my family, I was raised only on my mom's side of the family, which is all uh, Mexican, and I'm the only one in my family that's half black, half Mexican. So even in my family, I was the darkest one. So when I when I started surfing out here, I like I, I guess I kind of noticed it, but it didn't really like phase me as much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because, like, I was, at in that moment, too, I was just so focused on getting good. So, I just remember the one thing that I noticed more was there, there was a lot more guys with darker skin and long hair. Because on the mainland, there's there's not as many, like, here, it's more normal for guys to have really long hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the mainland, it's, like, not. No. So, I just remember noticing that a lot. Like, oh, okay, wow, cool. But, yeah, I guess I, guess I kind of noticed more people. Um, but, I... Honestly, still though, there's not a lot of just African American surfers yeah. even even now in the water. Yeah, you know, there's that. Like I said, there's definitely like I feel like more kind of like biracial. Like you can kind of tell when someone's like a little bit black. Like you know, they're kind of mixed. Like I I see that more. I say, but um, and even like I said, more Hawaiian, more Polynesian, more Asian surfers here, but. But you're probably seeing it a lot more. Like, I mean, look, I've been in lineups in Hawaii, and they're very different than, like, California li- yeah, lineups. Yeah. Like, like California lineups, like, you're pretty much looking at, like, it's 90, 95% white, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, when I've had contests in California, yeah, it's when I go surf, even just like free surf, it's predominantly white. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, and it's like, it's it's definitely for me, like when I came here from New York, surf, surf wise, like it was really disturbing to me because I didn't understand it. Like, like I I grew up in a very mixed environment, so for me, I was kind of like it was it was a shock. I was like, whoa! I was like, there's fucking mad white people up in here. Like this is like crazy. Like you gotta chill. Like this is too much. Like this is too much. Like I, I can't deal with this. Like it's like you know. Um, now, with you know, obviously we're in the middle of like probably the biggest civil rights movement happening that's ever gonna ever gonna happen. Hopefully that we'll never have to. Um, that we can use this as as a positive thing and get through stuff. What do you think? Well, first of all, locally, what has been happening in regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and the civil rights movement in Hawaii that you've noticed? Uh, and there's a lot more paddle outs um, here. Uh, there's there's the same thing. We have a lot of uh, like marches, like protests to the capital. I feel like on the mainland, it's a little more like more people, like, yeah, kind of just more. But 
in Hawaii, I feel like it's always been a lot more kind of disconnected from the mainland, and I also feel like it's a lot, a little more mellow, you know, like a, a lot more easygoing. So there's definitely been protests, but I feel like the protests, from what I can tell at least, on the mainland seem just a little more like intense, you know? Right. No, no, they are. I mean, look, we're... we're I've spent a good, like I was t talking to you earlier, like we spend a good bit of time in Hawaii and it's ultimately our dream to move there and live there and we have friends yeah. there and every, every year we come we stay like an extra couple of days, like it just, it's it's turning into a month now, every year, yeah. <laughs> and, it's kind of, and so I totally get that and one of the things I do like about it is it's so disconnected from everything else, like it's kind of its own place, it's like kind of, this is, yeah. this is what it is kind of thing. Yeah, and here, you know, being at ground zero in a sense in Southern California, is you know we're definitely seeing a lot of marches and a lot of wake-up calls and stuff like that which i'm very like happy about because it's something that is very near and dear to my family's um morals and values and stuff like that so you know especially with having a child it's something we've been trying to instill in her and to, and to be not just not racist but be anti-racist right and yeah. to be active and to learn things and to like actually make the the calls now for you as being a person of color and surfing what do you want to see more from the surfing community that you think would help people of color? I What I really, really want to see more is, one, these big-name brands, you know, Roxy, Rip Curl, Billabong, O'Neill, Ruka, you know, like all these brands, I, I would like to see them have more, like, diversity on their team mm -hmm. and more... It, even even if they can't find like an african-american surfer you know that's that'd be good enough to be on their team because not just to just have anybody on their mm. team you know? but even just like when you go on their sites and you see like the girls modeling wearing the clothes or the bikinis even just that you know it's it's pretty much most of these models are all just kind of skinny white either blonde or brunette girls which, which is all right. I mean, yes, the surf industry, truthfully, that's the majority of what a lot of these surfer, w women surfers are. But there are a lot, like I said, there are African-American surfers. There are Asian surfers. There are Hispanic surfers. You know, it would be nice to just see that represented in these companies on, on, the, on their team or just even within the models that are in there on their website or on their, like, you know, magazines or... Mm -hmm. Like, that would be nice. And also, oh, I got asked this question the other day, like, oh, why don't you think more African-American people compete on the WSL? And truthfully, it's, or like on the stand-up world tour, but like, it's expensive. It's yeah. really expensive to travel the world and compete on these contests. If you don't have sponsors backing you, or if you don't have rich parents or a wealthier family, yeah. it's really hard. Um, last year, the longboard tour went to Australia, it went to Spain, it went to New York, it went to Taiwan. Like, these places are, especially coming from Hawaii, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to have, like, the from here to go to Spain. I remember, I didn't go for um, the longboard last year, but the year before I went for stand-up, they had a contest in Spain. I had to fly from here to the Canary Islands, which is an island chain off of Spain. My plane ticket alone was two thousand dollars. Oh my god! Yeah, so it's it's it, Hawaii traveling from Hawaii on the mainland. It would have been a lot cheaper if I had 
because I was looking it up, if I had left from California or New York, but from Hawaii, just to cross that ocean anywhere, yeah. it already adds extra money. But regardless, like even if I lived on the mainland, the ticket was around a thousand. Yeah, know? it's and not cheap. Have, no, no. Yeah, then you have to think of your board bag fee, which is another at least a hundred dollars there, a hundred dollars back. You have to your hotel and lodging, which is, again, most of these contests have ten day holding periods, so that's another thousand bucks you're spending on that then you have to pay for food which is like another three hundred dollars so you're already looking at two to four thousand dollars just to go to like you know some of these contests that are in a totally different country yeah and on top of that um the wsl was charging us insurance like we had to pay yeah yeah the insurance fee is like ridiculous like i which to me, I was like, I already have my own medical insurance. Why do I need to buy yours? Like this, I, I literally can't. Like you don't. For, and then I have to pay two hundred dollars. For I first off, I have to pay a hundred dollars to be a member. Then I have to pay two hundred dollars to enter into the contest. So it's like you, and now I have to pay your insurance. Plus I have to pay for my my airfare, yeah. my hotel, my transportation, my food. Like I, this is so expensive. This is crazy. And my family already. I come from more of a lower income family, so I'm paying everything myself. Mm-hmm. This, like, no wonder why more Hispanic and African Americans don't compete on, for surfing because it's just. Or I even like honestly, I know like white people too. It's it's really really expensive. No, it's 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 very cost prohibitive. I mean. Even if you have like big name sponsors, even for them to dish out like all that money, I mean. But you bring up something. I mean, there might be it might be interesting for like the WSL to do an initiative, let's say like almost like a scholarship for people of color to be able to enter their, their contest. I mean, that might be actually something that they could do, which would be cool. Yeah, which I think because that's what I, I get a lot of messages of people like complain, like talking to me about this and complaining and and saying this sort of stuff and I'm like you know I understand I I know a lot of my Brazilian friends are in the same boat too they they're in Brazil I guess they make a less a lot less money than than the US oh yeah you know like oh, I, yeah. I, I've heard stories where people start raising French bulldogs and selling them you know just to make enough money so yeah. that they can do these contests you know there's been times where I've been short on my rent just so that I can enter into these contests like it's it's like you said it'd be really nice to have some sort of like initiative program just to help out or just at least maybe make the fees a little less like i mean i i also don't know what what it takes to run a world the tour. fee I'm yeah sure yeah it's it's it's, you know, it, it's like i mean just because i know from the inside of it a little bit it's really expensive and that insurance thing that they have you guys pay there's no way for them to get around it like to be quite honest it's like kind of like they've looked at it and they're like there's no way so they can't lower it on their end but i do think if i had to think about it i would say the one thing is they could get corporate sponsorship to come in and kind of pay for some of those fees so for instance if you get like a corporate sponsor like a i don't know like a not even a surf related brand like let's say a honda like a car company a car company comes in and they're like what how do we get involved with the wsl and the wsl could turn around and be like hey look you can be the um the insurance sponsor and you will basically pay for half of the insurance for all the athletes and then that way for you instead of paying the 700 bucks it would be 350 so it makes it a little bit easier you know they could do yeah. little things like that i think but for me it's like more of like you know they have to open up surfing i think it's only it's only in surfing's best interest to open it up to the to the world in a way like to make it as accessible as possible right and 
you brought up something earlier in the interview, which is like, okay, with track, you could do that anywhere. With surfing, you can't, right? You only have a couple of places. So you have that thing that kind of pigeonholes surfing a little bit. But I do think like the WSL and the surf brands need to work on working with organizations that focus on getting people of color involved in surfing more. So for instance, like not just even like what you had mentioned, which I think is actually a good point, and, and no one mentions this, is like, you know, if you're not going to have someone on your team, at least have models and stuff like that, right? That represent yeah. a, a bigger thing. And I think if you look at companies like what Vans is doing, what Vans is doing, which I think is really interesting. Vans, first of all, has been very good about this because partly because at the end of the day, the the the, the sport that pays Vans bill is skateboarding. And skateboarding is multi-ethnic and it always yeah. has been... And Way more yeah, and that's the, that's the world I come from. That's the world that I come from, a skateboarding world. And so for me, it's like, you know, I always tell people like, hey, in skateboarding, the second we smelt anything racist, we kick them out of skateboarding. Like, that's how it works. Like, it's worked like that since I've been 14 years old. I'm 46 years old. Okay, so it's 30. Like, we've always been like that. And Vans has been at the forefront of that. But what Vans is doing that I think is really interesting that I'd like to see other companies do is that they're doing initiatives within their corporate structure to get more people of color to work there, right? Because if you yeah, get... that too. Exactly, yeah, that too. Like, because if you get people to work at Quicksilver and Roxy and these people, not only is it about giving them the jobs, but it's about having that representation inside the company and that voice for those people to say, hey, our marketing campaign needs to do this. Like versus just guessing right now. They're just guessing. They're like, like if you look at like what they've done with the Black Lives Matter thing, every company put out the same bullshit statement. They put out the same bullshit statement like this and that. And you're like, like quick. So and the next day they went back to their usual posts, right? They went back to their usual posts, which made me very angry. Yep. Made me very angry because I saw companies like Vans who were like, we're not going back to the usual. There is no back to the usual. I drive by, I drive by their their um, headquarters all the time, and there is a big Black Lives Matter big banner. And I know people who work there, and they're like, "This is our thing," and it's we're always going to be about this kind of thing. I am extremely disappointed, extremely disappointed in the Billabongs and the Quicksilvers and all that because they haven't stepped up to the plate when they have an opportunity. Now, I think. The problem is it's a multi-tiered problem for them. And one of them is the reality of their customer base. And the reality of their customer base right now is very white. And judging from a lot of comments I've seen is very racist still. And I think that's the thing they can't handle versus a Vans. If, if, if you told Vans right now, hey, look, we're, and they're owned by a big company. If you told them like, hey, you're gonna lose 25% of your customers because you take this stance, Vans would be like, we don't give a shit. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it because this is the right thing to do. So I think that's that's the thing when it comes to a brand thing. But we could talk about that for ages. And, and I, 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 you know, obviously it's it's something near to my heart and I, I try to work on it. Um, but what I wanna talk about is... Um, wait, wait, sorry. There was one thing that I wanted to put in there yeah. too. When you were saying about uh, how we could also include um, people of different ethnicities surfing. Yeah. I also think, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how to, how expensive it is or how feasible it is, but if the WSL had more regional, like, qualifying events oh, yeah. in different countries, like, in the Bahamas, in, in you know, Senegal, in, That's you know, point. the Philippines, 
you know, like, I, I just went to the Philippines for an invite-only longboard contest, and there are so many good Filipino surfers that rip, you know, and if there was, like, a, like, a, a, a longboard, like, QS type of thing, or shortboard QS, mm. or whatever, in these, like, more smaller countries, I think it could help get that more out there, you know, and it could possibly get these surfers more exposure, or brands seeing them, or just them competing on the world tour and possibly you know getting more points to do you know qualify and i think a lot of these other countries have really good waves you know like in mexico like why isn't there like a some sort of wsl event in mexico you know or well i guess there is in brazil for short board but you know like peru or costa rica like all these places yeah and it would really just help that that um town too get money in that town you know bring some tourism bring some people you know i just because i know for a fact like i want to go back to the philippines so bad i loved it there it was amazing i never i had never been there but just surfing in san juan it was just it was amazing i really loved it was that the one that like rosie and kai went to Mm-hmm. That, they didn't go this year, but they went last year. Yeah, and it's the one, and again, Vans puts money behind it. Like they, yeah. Yeah, see. Yeah, it was, yeah, sorry, yeah, it was a Vans, it was a Vans contest. They yeah. always, they're so good about this shit. Like, it's something that, like, I, like, like, people think I work for them. I don't. Um, but because, no, I love them. Like, I love knowing that, like, a, a brand like that is just, like, takes care of this world. You know, they're kind of, like, like, in terms of doing that. But you do have a really good point that, if there were some regional qualifiers in some of these places, that would help. Yeah, it does help. I mean, it brings different ethnicities into it, and it also brings people that, like, you never thought would, like, be in it. You know, like, there might be some random female longboarder from the Philippines no one ever heard of, and she wins the contest there, and she gets to go to the WSL thing in Spain. And people are like, oh, my God, who is this? Like... So it's uh, Valdez, just throwing that out there. No, no, it's good. It's good. Um, speaking of uh, longboards, I wanted to ask you about. So recently, uh, you've been hooked up with Michael Takayama boards, right? Yeah. So how did that happen? It, it happened because, well, honestly, everyone at Queens has been riding a Michael, <laughs> and everyone started winning contests on a Michael Takayama. So I was like, well, and I had actually um, met Michael a couple of years back when he came to Hawaii. Um, and we served together at Kaiser's and so I had already kind of known him and his family and then maybe like now like last year that's when I decided to order a board from him because like I said at that time Connie and Haley and Kaimana and uh, Honolua and Kira Seal they're yeah. all yeah they're all riding his board and like you can see Hono just won the world title on his board yeah and Connie won the third stop of the WSL in New York on his board and uh the Mexi Log Fest on his board the one of the um Joel Tudor events like on his board like you know and just like seeing the the progression of nose riding like Haley and Keanu just like seeing how much longer they're on the nose and that's one of my favorite things to do on a longboard is nose ride so I was like well I mean why not yeah I mean you know like just why not jump on the bandwagon I mean it seems to be working for a lot of people yeah yeah which which model are you riding or did he make you a custom one so he made me the perplexer model, but he kind of just tweaked it a little bit to uh-huh. how he thought I would surf it. Yeah. So I have a 9-4 perplexer 
um, I believe it's like 23 something inches wide and like three something inches thick. But yeah, I really like it. It's definitely different than my other longboards that I've had. Um, before I used to ride Jay Richardson, which is a local shaper. Yeah. Um, I really liked his boards too, but again, at that time when I was riding his boards, it was more. His boards are a little more like they're they're nose riders, but they're way more progressive. You know. Yeah, so, yeah, and and that's gonna be natural from like I think a lot of the Hawaiian, the, a lot of the Hawaiian shapers, they're they're coming from that perspective, you know, even yeah. e even when they're trying to make a traditional board, like I've seen some of the boards that have been out there and I'm like, that's why I was saying like, I'm gonna have one of my boards shipped there. Like, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't, this isn't my scene. Like, I've, I'm sorry, yeah. it's, not, it's not working um, kind of thing. Yeah, those boards are pretty awesome. And, and like, I love like, the thing I find most interesting that about them is actually like all that stuff um, he does on the tail like all that like channeling out and all that yeah. stuff and how like it, it's funny because we were watching videos of how the water wraps around the tail really close and i was like oh my god like that's totally what keeps you in that pocket like it like it totally like it's he's he's come up with something that's like really interesting and it's it, it's great to see how it's taken off um so i want to ask you a couple things in closing um so if you had to give anybody advice on starting to surf, what advice would you give them? Um, I would definitely, if I could go back in time, I would say take a surf lesson because especially working at a surf school, it's just, it's so much more beneficial, beneficial, like to take a lesson that, you know, they go more over like how like you are supposed to stand up, you know, paddling more the etiquette. And that's all stuff that I wish I had known to begin with. Like, you know, you can't, like, I'm grateful for the path that I had and how I learned, but I think I would have learned a lot faster if I would have taken a lesson. And, like I said, getting hurt now, and just last night I got my board dinged by another, you know, beginner. It's just, it's just more safe, too, you know? to Because now I feel like also it's becoming a lot more, like, the cool thing to go out and surf. And I feel like a lot of people don't really realize, you know, there is an etiquette to surfing. There is kind of like a take your turn, not just paddle for whatever and drop in on people. You know, it's, I I would recommend if someone is wanting to f learn how to surf, to honestly take a lesson from a qualified instructor or at a surf school, you know? So like I said, that you, you do know the basics, you do know the safety, you do know, so you're not just going out there just randomly and possibly hurting somebody. Right. Because that, like my injury could have been like a career ending injury but you know luckily it wasn't you know surfboards can be very dangerous oh yeah used properly so i would suggest you know someone to take a lesson and then after that if you really want to get into surfing you know just keep going out there it i there's definitely times where i've been frustrated but you just have to just keep going and just just having fun out there you know not just not taking it too seriously because I know there's been times where the waves have been really flat or the waves have been really big and crazy and it was just, I couldn't catch a good wave or I was just getting wiped out, you know, just to keep, just to keep going and just to be positive and have fun because that's what surfing is supposed to be about is having fun and enjoying being in the ocean. That's why we started, right? That's why every one of us started, right? To yeah. have fun. I think people forget that a lot, you know, people forget that it's like, you know, you do want to progress and you do want to get yeah. better. And sometimes you just kind of need to like 
when you're having those days where not everything's working, yeah. you know, I had one of those recently, you just got to be like, I'm just going to take an inside wave. I don't care. Like, it's fine. It's fine. Um, in closing, um, if you had to pick one place that was your favorite place to surf ever, what would it be and why? My favorite place besides Waikiki? Whatever it is, it's it's your call. Like, if you were, like, basically, like, today, right now, someone could wave a wand and be like, you could be in your place right now surfing. Which place would it be? Oh, gosh, honestly, it, it'd have to be Waikiki. And it would have to be, it'd have to be, I'm not sure if you ever heard of the breaks, Pops or Threes. Yeah, yeah. Th those are my, I, if someone waved a wand and said, okay, you have to surf here for like the rest of your life, or you just, you know, you have to surf here, it'd be, it'd be there. One of those two breaks, Pops or Threes, Pops maybe. But, but Waikiki in general, I, I really love it here. The water to me is just so clean and clear and it's the wave is just so fun it's don't get me wrong I, like north shore and makaha is good but sometimes it's so big and it's just more like you're more fear for your life like am i gonna yeah survive it's more survival like, than fun <laughs> like, yeah like at least in waikiki even when it's huge even if you wipe out the wave is pretty much gonna pass you by you're, you don't have to worry about like oh my god how long can i hold my breath like, yeah yeah it's it's just more of a playful fun wave and i had the most I, the most fun and some of the best waves of my life ridden here in Waikiki and I think it's a great way for for longboard for stand-up and when the waves are bigger even for shortboard and yeah. I just I really love it and I, I really love the community here and I, I just I would probably pick Waikiki honestly of all the places in the world I've ever been this is this is always like where my heart is I love this place the most yeah I don't, I don't blame you um, last question. Uh, any uh, any people you want to thank? Say shout outs to anybody. Um, my mom. My mom has been my biggest supporter, and there's been times where she, you know, she's taken money out of her retirement fund to help me go to these contests. And the whole reason why I'm even that I even love the water is because of her. You know, she's a Mexican American female, and she she never learned how to swim even to this day she doesn't know how oh, wow. to swim yeah so and i she just was always she would tell me she was always so sad and so bummed out you know when people would go to the pool or to the ocean and she just felt so sad that she couldn't that she was too afraid to get in water you know past her knee so when i was born she made sure that that i could swim that i loved the water she had me in little kid kid swim classes like i was swimming before i was able to walk wow like, she had me in those like little toddler swim classes so you know i pretty much owe everything to her and she's been the biggest supporter like mentally and financially and so i would say her and i would say probably you know my boyfriend too he's been super supportive um and just the whole community of waikiki you know every like i said everyone has i, I can't even think of anyone off the top of my head but everyone here in waikiki is and in hawaii they've always been so supportive like, you know, all the photographers getting photos of me and helping me grow my, like, social media following that's helped me in so many other areas. Like, it's just such a beautiful place, Waikiki, the people. Everyone is so supportive, and I'm so grateful for everyone. That's awesome. Well, listen, thanks for um, taking your time out um, and, and sitting down with us, and uh, hopefully yeah. see you out there next time I'm out there. Yeah, definitely. That would be so cool. 
Thank you so much to Dominique for taking time out to talk with us. It was a lot of fun. I can't wait to go back to Oahu. And now I'm actually going to go onto the South Shore and surf a little uh, to hang out with her. But, you know, a lot of things that she was saying in there are very important in terms of her experience. And we need to hear people's experiences to understand what they go through. A lot of times we're just in shock, right? I was in shock by some of the things she was telling me because I don't firsthand experience it, right? And the only way we're gonna learn about making things better is hearing other people's experiences firsthand. And so we have to listen. The other thing I thought that was really good, she brought up a lot of points of how people of color, women, men, whatever it is, the trans community, the LGBTQ community, they need to be represented out there. And it's as simple as companies putting them in their catalogs and that kind of stuff. And I thought it was something that Worm and I touched upon on Wednesdays at Worm. If you look on my Instagram account, you could check out, we talk about that. It's honestly not that hard to change the narrative, if you will, from the surfing perspective, if the companies want to. now. Some of these companies don't want to deep down and that sucks, but they have an opportunity now to jump on board and make things happen. And I think some of the examples she used were really good. But enough of the chat, enough of me talking. I want to get into some funky tracks and I'll check in with you guys a little bit with some short takes. Peace. Seems
says, who do you think I am? You raise my taxes, freeze my wages, and send my son to Vietnam. You give me second-class houses and second-class schools. Do you think that all colored folks are just second-class fools, Mr. Backlash? I'm gonna leave you with a backlash blue. Like I said earlier in the episode, this is just going to be a mix of some random tracks that I'm into, no rhyme or reason, things that I like to listen to. A lot of times I'll just be in my car driving around and I'll go down these wormholes where a random artist will pop up and then I listen to a whole album or I create a related playlist really quick or something like that. And that was the inspiration behind this episode musically. There was... A lot of stuff I've been listening to, a lot of it was lyrically motivated because of what's going on with the social justice movement and people around me. Some of it was just like good vibes and that's why I chose some of these tracks. Maggot Brain is one of my favorite songs in the world just because the emotional content of it as an instrumental is undeniable and it's something I grew up with. Mike Watt's cover of it I think is pretty amazing and the fact that he got Bernie Worrell to play on it. Uh, just makes it that much better. 
But let's do a little housekeeping. This is the Bodega Border Crew podcast, volume 66. Make sure to check us out on Instagram at Bodega Border Crew. Make sure to check out our website, bodegabordercrew.com, where we have merch drops, and which we recently had one. We have a couple of those hats left and uh, pick them up while they're gone, or before they're gone, rather. Uh, Also, we have uh, episodes on there. We have videos. We have a lot of stuff, so definitely go check it out. Make sure to check out this episode description on your iTunes player for track listings and links to things that we're talking about. The first short take I have is this uh, video called Assorted Rides by Drew Miller featuring our homeboy Devin Howard. Now what's interesting about this, first of all, Devin just is ripping. He's He's been surfing so amazing the last like two years and any footage I can watch of his I just love. I know we're sitting on his video part for our video, which we're going to make a decision for to release it or not. Uh, but Drew Miller does an amazing job. And I think his inspiration behind this movie, which was really cool, was that he looked at a bunch of old surf photography from Leroy Granis and people of that era and how the dramatic lighting really captured the mood. And which Leroy Granis's photos, the one thing besides the subject matter, the lighting in his photos is just undeniable and it's beautiful and it just makes it so much more dramatic and i think drew miller really captured that really well in this video besides devin is just ripping in it between surfing his longboards surfing his mid lengths it's again showing what an amazing all-round surfer he is and kind of what i aspire to so late in life that i want to be that kind of surfer I want to be that kind of surfer where it's like I could surf a longboard, I could surf a fish, I could surf a mid-length, I could surf a bonser, I could surf whatever, and still have a consistency to my style, but be able to surf different craft because of different situations. This video is really good. Um, We have a link to it. Check it out. I think it's really important. And I think what I'll do is actually get you inspired to go out there and surf. The second short take I have is this... uh, it's kind of a compilation of a bunch of clips over the last year of Harrison Roach done by Hunter Verco, which is called Roach. And look, anytime I get to see Harry surf, I get stoked. And seeing him surf all these different boards in uh, these different conditions is really cool. I know some of the boards in there have, were experimental shapes that him and Thomas were working on. One of them was the Whistle, which was a board that they made for the WSL tour, that was the inspiration, like an all-around log that could work on everything, both like high pro conditions and really sloppy stuff. And you see him surf that a lot there. Harrison is just one of those surfers, again, like Devin, like one of these amazing, well-rounded surfers that could surf anything. And seeing him on his foiled out longboards at Noosa is like one of the most amazing things. So check out this clip. Let us know what you think and hope you enjoy it. The last short take I have is this little clip of Neil Mesmer surfing in Dana Point and he's surfing a Dane Peterson uh, unhinged surfboards surfboard. Now if you don't know, Dane Peterson has been making surfboards for years and in the last, I think it's been the last two years, he's been making more and more of them and he has a lot of amazing people surf on them. You know, Alex Nose has been surfing on them, uh, Lola Mignot. Cassia, Devin has one, and now Neil, who is this amazing surfer from Orange County, uh, has one. And I wanted to post this clip for a couple reasons. One, Neil is someone that's coming up on the scene, at least visibly, who is amazing and one of the best surfers out there that a lot of people don't know about. 
two, you really get to see how this board works because lucky enough, there was enough swell. And I love seeing these kind of long boards, wide point back, showcase their ability and their hydrodynamics on bigger and punchier waves because I think that's where they work best. And this video is just like a really great example of it. Check it out, check out Neil. Uh, this was shot by Ali Loves Boba, uh, his girlfriend, which she's been shooting a lot of great photos, so shout out to her. And hope you guys enjoy. But that's it for this episode. We made it a little bit shorter this time around. Uh, glad you could join us. Again, I'll go back to two of the big items that we have going on in the world. One, the COVID uh, pandemic, which we honestly have to stop being sloppy and we have to stop being selfish. Wearing a mask, honestly, has been politicized and it makes no sense to me. I don't understand where we've gone from respecting scientists to thinking a YouTube video is smarter than someone with five degrees. And the problem with that is we have too many people in this world, at least this is my perspective, who think they're Magellan and that they discovered something new by finding some random YouTube video out there that back some kooky concept that is not based in science or fact. Look, the best the best thing I heard about this is that if you believe in drag queen werewolves from Uranus, there will be a video on YouTube that backs it up. Just because there's a video on YouTube that backs up some random kooky concept does not mean it's true. Second, this microchip nonsense that everyone's talking about with a vaccine, this concept has been around since the 1960s and every five to 10 years, there's a new conspiracy theory about how we're gonna be microchipped. We're not gonna be microchipped. Calm the fuck down, people. You just, you sound like a bunch of fucking morons. Like, I'm gonna be honest. I don't care if this, this turns some people off, but it's the reality of the situation. You're just, you're just being a little bit silly. And look, we are living in a time where we might have to, and we actually, not might, we have to make some sacrifices, both socially and physically, in order to have freedoms. Freedoms are not free. Every freedom that we've ever had in our life has come at some cost. People have sacrificed during World War II, they've sacrificed at other times. The fact that we are acting like little children and are not willing to sacrifice, based on selfishness that we are wrapping a pseudo-patriotic flag around, is a little pathetic. And that's something you need to think about. But stop being selfish. So what? You gotta wear a mask to go into the store. Big deal. Is that really that hard? I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. If it's gonna keep people safe, if it's gonna keep my family safe, like, why not? If it's gonna keep the other family safe, why not? It's a little sacrifice to me. It's not like, you know, we're being told that we can only drink so much water or we can only drink so much beer or whatever it is. We live pretty privileged lives. We have Netflix. We have the internet. Calm the fuck down. Buckle up. Make this thing go away so that we could get life back to normal. And the second big issue is what's going on in the civil rights movement. We can't lose momentum. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing. We honestly have to keep going out there and doing stuff. We need to be anti-racist and not just racist. I had someone who's a distant family member who's a politician recently tell me, trying to defend what John Wayne had said. and. One of his defenses was that, well, I don't think John Wayne was racist, I just think he was old-fashioned. Old-fashioned is a term that they used to use for wife beaters, that they used for alcoholics, that they used to use for pedophiles. We're not old-fashioned, we're a modern society. We can't be hiding behind these antiquated terms and concepts and having people hurt and marginalized. 
Accept the fact that white privilege does exist in every single one of us who has benefited from that. It is our responsibility to fight this fight, to amplify the voices. And look, a lot of people are scared because they're scared to do the wrong thing. We're all gonna get it wrong. I get it wrong all the time. But you know what? You can't have it paralyze you. You have to actually use it as inspiration. You have to think about these people who've had it so much harder than us because of systemic racism and sexism and bigotry. And think about what it would like be like to be in their shoes. That's the thing I always think about when it comes to this thing. I always think about growing up in a Christian household where one of the most valuable lessons my parents taught me was that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That basic concept of putting yourself in someone else's shoes, listening to them, understanding their, their fights, understanding their pains, and what it would be like if that was part of your daily life, and changing that. And I think we all have the ability to do that. The other thing I'll go back to is let's lead from our seats. Whatever platform you are comfortable doing, do it. You know, it's as simple as what you, how you raise your children or buying a book for a library or calling someone out on stuff or educating someone about stuff or educating yourself and admitting wrong things and learning from it. I really want people to go out there right now and be energized to make changes, to make things happen because that's the only way the world's going to get better. And people who come to my podcast and follow my brand understand that this has always been a part of it. This has always been a part of DNA. I know I've been losing viewers and I've been losing people and people are like, I don't want to hear this. Well, guess what? It's the fucking world. This is what's going on outside. You want to bury your head in the fucking sand? Then don't follow my brand. Don't support my brand and get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry. That's just how it is. But on a lighter side, look, we've been having some swell. I just want people to be safe. Don't sit down on the beach. Active active usage only. Come on, stop putting up the umbrellas. You're a bunch of fucking assholes for doing that, okay? Go to the beach, go surf, enjoy your time. Don't bust a craze on a wave, and I'll see you out there. Peace.
coming, so miss me with the whoopie whoop. You take the devil for God, look how he doing you. I'm Jack Johnson, I beat a slave catch a snaggle tooth. I'm Tiger Flowers with a higher power, hallelujah. Life will get so bad, it feel like God mad at you. But that's a feeling, baby, ever lose. I refuse, I disabuse these foolish fools of their foolish view. I heard the revolution coming, you should spread the news. Garvey, my Tyson punch, this is bad news. So feel me, follow me, devil then got on top of me. Bad times got a monopoly, give up, I did the opposite. Pitch perfect, did it properly, only killed by his property. This life will stress you like Orson Welles on a radio. War after war, the world will make all your saintness go And these invaders from Earth are twerking our ways, you know Can't wait to load up the silos and make your babies glow It's so abusive, you beg somebody to root for you They'll snatch your hope up and use it like it's a hula hoop And it's a loop, they talk to you just like their rulers do These fucking fools have forgotten just who they fool and who Kill you, 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 kill Kill your kill your kill kill your kill 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 your kill kill your man kill your kill kill your kill your kill kill your kill 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 your kill kill your man kill your kill kill your kill your kill kill your kill 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 your kill kill your man kill your kill kill your kill 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 your Start appealing to our killers, man, and stop the bleeding These songs are dirty bomb For they dirty dealers, boots on the roof I'm Charlie Mingus jumping through the ceiling Master peeing on these lost European thieving Shippy Grimmin, Daylock, born a reaper Born in the beast, fixing a feast And tearing its features The world searches, the nation's nervous The crowd's awakened, they can't disperse us We ain't at your service Won't stay sedated, won't stay our numbers or our names it
Shut the bars down, then go ice the guards. Touch the hood and go kiss granny, catch a box of food. Play the blade and feel that sunlight till you're in the mood. But who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think who you are? Who do you think who you are? Take myself a piece of sunshine And paint it all over my sky yeah. Be no rain Be no rain I'm gonna take the song from every bird And make them sing it just for me Something to teach us all about being free. Yeah. Yeah, I think I 